Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Come on, let's all go to the lobby. Because people are staring at us listening to these shows while we're in the theater. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. God rest you merry gentlemen, let nothing you despair. For Jesus Christ our Savior was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power.
Thank you, Holly Jolly Radio Singers. That was a beautiful contribution. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce the father of reimagined radio, Dr. John Barber. Happy holidays, everyone, and thank you so much for being here tonight. This is the third year that we've offered a Radio Christmas Carol, and it looks as if it's going to be every bit as jam-packed tonight as it has been the two years in the past. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your generosity, your donations to the Clark County uh, Food Bank. The barrels are overflowing. If you're by any chance feeling guilty for the fact that you didn't bring a contribution, we'll be happy to take your checks um, and or your cash. Uh, that will be wonderful also. I want to start tonight by asking, is tonight's anyone's birthday? Is anyone celebrating a birthday tonight? No, I mean, besides, besides him, besides him, besides... Joe. Joe, yeah, besides him. Anybody else? Oh, darn it, you lost your chance to get a free movie poster then. Oh. Tonight really is a special night for birthdays. Um, in addition to it being the birthday for Sam A. Mowry, the director of the Lamette Radio Workshop. It's also Thanks, the birthday Mom. of Joe Medina, who has prepared all the slides, and we'll be preparing those for you tonight. It's also Philip K. Dick's birthday, and it's Beethoven's birthday, and it's, it's only a few days away from my birthday. So this is really a great night. Thank you for coming to the celebration. Uh, want to remind you that there are uh, food and drinks available throughout the show. There is um, also a uh, swag table in the back that's got fantastic stuff there, and they're going to donate 10% of the proceeds from the sales tonight to the Clark County Food Bank. So you can get CDs of performances, there's amazing jewelry, there's all kinds of other cool stuff that you can take home and then you know, re-gift it. So maybe you haven't done your Christmas shopping yet. Um, this would be a, um, a place to do it. I wanna thank the uh, Washington State University uh, Coogs Parents Fund through a very generous grant that they have supplied, we are able to do this show tonight and others coming up. So um, if you're a Coog, yay Coogs, and uh, congratulations there. Thank you also and congratulations to all the Washington State University alumni and recent graduates uh, that are here. We're very proud of you and we really appreciate your support of, um, of this event. 
Finally, I'd just like to tell you, uh, while you're still interested in radio drama, and I hope you will be more so at the end of the show, but I won't have a chance to say anything then, we've got some great shows coming up in the spring. The next show will be in March in celebration of National Women's History Month. And we plan two performances, uh, well, we plan a performance of two radio dramas by Lucille Fletcher, who's probably the best known of a very small group of women writing radio during radio's so-called golden age. That's the 1920s through the 1950s. Sorry, wrong number, an incredibly, what shall I say, moving uh, performance uh, will be in store for you, and The Hitchhiker. And then later in the spring, early in May, uh, again, uh, two uh, different shows, uh, Gunsmoke, and The Shadow. And we're going to combine similar episodes from each of these shows. So on one hand, an adult Western. On the other hand, Oriental mysticism. It should be a very interesting show, and I hope you'll uh, keep your, your eyes out for that. Check your program. There's a hashtag in there where we invite you to tweet and post and pin and like and do all amazing things with social media throughout the show. However, please, no photographs with flash. It's disturbing to our artists up here, so um, take care of them, please. All right, enough from me. Let's get on with the show. It is a great pleasure to kick off the holiday season here in Vancouver by introducing the Willamette Radio Workshop, their performance of a radio Christmas carol under the direction of my good friend and birthday boy, Sam A. Mowry. It's a very small stage and we are rather large actors, so it takes a little time for us to go get up here and get placed. There we are, figure out what the lights are. Second one's the bright one. There we are. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Sam A. Mowry, and I'm the director of the Willamette Radio Workshop. It's winter here in the Northern Hemisphere, a time when cold and darkness lay claim to the outside world, while we mere mortals gather inside in search of light and warmth and community. This is a time for games and feasting, stories and songs, new delights and old traditions. Here in the United States, our traditions, like our very population, come from all over the world. We are enriched by 2,000 years of accumulated customs from the four corners of the globe. The mistletoe, the druids, the Noel of the French, the Yule logs and holly of the English, the Dutch legend of Sinterklaas. The best songs that have ever been sung, the best games that have ever been played, and the best stories that have ever been told are ours to share together. And what better story to share together on a cold winter's eve than that of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. The tale of Ebenezer Scrooge, a man as solitary as an oyster, who learns at last to reach out to his fellow creatures. Our family has a long-standing holiday tradition of bringing this story to those who cannot venture out into the world, uh, into the cold and blustery night in search of stories and companionship. 
For over 20 years, we have braved the winter weather with friends and family to perform the tale of Scrooge for people in nursing homes and residential care facilities throughout the Northwest. Along the way, our tiny Tims have grown into Bob Cratchits, and we have said a sad farewell to more than one magnificent Scrooge. If there is anyone in tonight's audience who has been a part of that tradition, I invite you to applaud and let us know that you're here with us. Oh, good. There you are, yes. I've seen some of you out there. Uh, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we invite all of you to share in our tradition. In homage to the spirit of Christmas present, we ask you to make a contribution to the Clark County Food Bank. For as Dickens points out, this is a time when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. We thank you for your generosity and we humbly offer up this ghost of a radio program with our warmest Yuletide greetings. May it haunt your houses pleasantly. Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt about that. The burial register was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good for anything on the exchange. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't know what there is particularly dead about a doornail. Myself, I'd be inclined to regard the coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors must prevail what the country's done for. I repeat, Marley was dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead. Oh, of course he did. How could it be otherwise? The two of them were partners for, oh, I don't know how many years. Oh, Scrooge was his sole executor, administrator, friend, and mourner. He was an excellent man of business on the very day of the funeral. Which brings me back to my starting point. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be understood, or nothing can come from the story I shall relate. If we were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began, there would be nothing remarkable in his taking a stroll at night upon his own ramparts, hmm? True, true. No. The firm remained known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes newcomers called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both. It was all the same to him. Oh, he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, old Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint he was. No wind that blew was bitterer than he. But what about the story? Oh, yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> the story. Once upon a time. Of all the good old days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy at his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather. And the people outside went wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stamping their feet. It was dark, and candles were flaring in the windows of neighboring offices. Fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole. Scrooge kept his eye on his clerk, who sat in a dismal little cell copying letters. Nineteen. Twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, nine, eight, seventeen, thirteen, seven, 
Uh, Merry Christmas, Bob. Mr. Fred, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Huh? And a Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Christmas. Ah, uh, humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle? You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then. What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough? Impertinence. Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas. Out upon Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money, a time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Uh, uncle! Near you, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good it may do you, much good it has ever done you. I dare say there are many things from which I might have derived good by which I have not profited. Christmas among the rest. But Christmas time is the only time I know of when men and women seem by one consent to open their hearts freely and to think of people below them as fellow passengers, not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good, and I say God bless it. Here, here, God bless it! Another sound from you, Bob Cratchit, and you'll keep your kiss Christmas by losing your situation. As for you, nephew, you're a very powerful speaker. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Uh, I'd rather be boiled in oil. But why? Why did you marry against my wishes? Because I fell in love. Love. The only thing in the world more ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. Good afternoon, sir. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can we not be friends? Good afternoon. I am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. We have never had any quarrel to which I have been a party. But I have made the trial an homage to Christmas, and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. A Merry Christmas to you, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Uh, humbug. Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas, sir. Oh, you're a fine fellow, Bob Cratchit. Fifteen shillings a week and a wife and family talking of a merry Christmas. I'll retire to Bedlam. Uh, good afternoon, sir. Uh, Scooch and Maui's, I believe. Believe whatever you like. Have we the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. He died seven years ago. This very night. Uh, we have no doubt his liberality as well, represented by his surviving partner. Liberality. An ominous word. At this festive season of the year, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. Are there no prisons? Uh, Plenty of prisons. And the workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. Still, I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then? Both very busy, sir. I'm very glad to hear it. I was afraid that something had occurred to stop them in a useful course. They scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to the multitude, sir. 
a few of us upon the exchange are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some <laughs> meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because it is a time when want is keen, we felt, and abundance rejoices. What should we put you down for? Nothing. Uh, you wish to be left anonymous. I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I cannot afford to make idle people merry. My taxes help support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. But, sir... It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. My business occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Scrooge resumed his labors with an improved opinion of himself. Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened. The brightness of the shops made pale faces ruddy, and the grocer's trades became a splendid joke, a glorious pageant that had little to do with such dull principles as bargain and sale. What's that infernal caterwauling? Carolers, sir. Carolers, eh? What do you mean by disturbing my place of business? Spare a penny for the song, governor. A penny? A penny for the privilege of having my business interrupted? It's the Christmas custom, sir. Be off before I call the beetle. Meddlesome urchins. Humbug. Cratchit. What do you think you're doing with that coal scuttle? Uh, the fire uh, was a bit low, sir. What of it? Well, it's the cold, sir. It makes my fingers stiff. That's what gloves are for, is it not? We can't be tossing coal on the fire every time we feel a gust of wind. I suppose not, sir. Take a message round to Ephraim Parthagill. Tell him he's to pay me the 17 shillings and sixpence he owes me by the end of business tomorrow. I'll send round the constable. Tomorrow? But it's Christmas, sir. Debts do not disappear simply because it is Christmas time, Cratchit. But, sir, uh, Mr. Parthagill's wife is ill. Well, that's no concern of mine. But, sir... And stop staring at the clock. The office will close when it's closing time. Not a moment before. Yes, sir. Thirty-six Comb from Martha, and a 33, 3 and carry 4. Hair ribbon for Belinda, 4, 7, 12, 15, and a happy new. At length, the hour of shutting up the counting house arrived. I suppose you'll be wanting the whole day off tomorrow, Cratchit. If it's quite convenient, sir. It is not convenient, and it's not fair. If I was to stop you half a crown, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. Sir, it's only once a year. Poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier the next morning. 
The office was closed in a twinkling. Bob Cratchit, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no greatcoat, went down a slide at the end of a lane of boys twenty times in honour of its being Christmas Eve, and then ran home as hard as he could pelt to play blind man's bluff with his family. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern. He beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book and then went home. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on Scrooge's door, except that it was very large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in the place. And Scrooge had as little of what is called fancy about him as any man in the city of London. Let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley since his last mention of him that afternoon. Then let any man explain to me if he can how it happened that Scrooge saw in the knocker not a knocker but... Marley's face! With a dismal light about it, not angry or ferocious, but as Marley used to look, with ghostly spectacles turned up on its ghostly forehead, the hair curiously stirred, the eyes wide open and motionless. And then it was a knocker again. To say he wasn't startled would be a lie, but he turned the key, walked in, lighted his candle. A bug. He fastened the door, walked across the hall and up the stairs. He went through his rooms to see that all was right. Sitting room. Bedroom. Lumber room. All as they should be. Nobody under the bed. Nobody in the closet. Nobody in his dressing gown. Quite satisfied, he closed the door and locked himself in. Double locked himself in, not his custom. He put on his dressing gown, slippers and nightcap and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. A very low fire indeed for such a bitter night. His glance happened to rest upon a disused bell. And as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing. What? What? What's that? Bung. Bung. Yeah. Bung. Um, bung. 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 Oh, who's that? Bung. 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 Someone in the cellar. Bung. 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 Still, I won't believe it. Bung. Bung. Ebenezer Scrooge. What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Oh, you're a particular for a shade. All right, then, who were you? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you... can you sit down? I can. Do it, then. You don't believe in me. I don't. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. A slight... Disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato. There's more of gravy than grave about you, whatever you are. You see this toothpick? 
I have but to swallow it and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins, all of my own creation. Humbug, I tell you. Humbug! <laughs> Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I, I do. I, I must. But why do spirits walk the earth and why do you come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men. If that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. To wander through the world and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth, and turn to happiness. Tell me, why are you fettered? And why do your chains bear cash boxes and padlocks and ledgers? I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it, link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know the weight and length of strong coil you bear yourself? It was full as heavy and as long seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. It comes from other regions, Ebenezer, and is conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. Mark me. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of a money-changing hole, and weary journeys lie before me. You might have got over a great quantity of ground in seven years, Jacob. Oh, captive, bound, and double-ironed. Any spirit working kindly in its little sphere will find its mortal life too short. No space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunities misused. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Hear me. My time is nearly gone. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. A chance and hope of my procuring, Ebenezer. You always were a good friend to me, Jacob. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. In that case, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first, when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Look to see me no more. Remember what has passed between us. The apparition walked backward through the open window. Outside the air was filled with moaning phantoms. Each one of them wore chains. They sought to interfere for good in human matters the power to do so forever. Scrooge went straight to bed and pulled the covers up over his head. He awoke to hear the chime striking. A quarter past, half past, 
a quarter to it. One o'clock. Lights flashed up in the room. The bed curtains were drawn aside, and Scrooge found himself face to face with an unearthly visitor. Not so like a child as an old man diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair was white, yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. It wore a tunic of the purest white and a lustrous belt round its waist. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprung a clear jet of light, and its belt sparkled and glittered now in one part, now in another. What was light at one instant at another time was dark, so the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness. Are you the spirit whose forecoming was foretold me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. And what business brings you here? Your welfare. A night of unbroken rest would have been more conducive to my welfare. Your reclamation, then. Rise and walk with me. The weather and the hour are not adapted to pedestrian purposes. Come to the window. Out the window? But I am mortal and likely to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand, and you shall be upheld in more than this. They passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road. The city had entirely vanished. Good heavens! I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. You recollect the way? Why, I could walk it blindfold. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years. <laughs> Some boys rode towards them on horseback, all in great spirits, shouting to each other and filling the fields with merry music. Hello! Hello there! These are but shadows. They have no consciousness of us. The school is not quite deserted this Christmas holiday. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. Yes. As he had been a great many Christmases. Ebenezer? Fan. Fan! Oh, dear, dear brother, I've come to bring you home. Home, Fan? Yes, home, forever and ever. Father's so much kinder than he used to be. He spoke to me so gently one night that I wasn't afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said yes. We'll be together all Christmas long and have the merriest time in all the world. Fan, always a delicate creature whom a breath might have withered. But she had a large heart. So she had, spirit. She died a woman and had, I think, children. One child. True, your nephew. Yes. Your lip is trembling. And what is that upon your cheek? It is nothing but a pimple. 
Scrooge next found they were in the thoroughfares of a city. Is this warehouse door familiar to you? I was apprenticed here. Oh, look, it's old Fezziwig. Bless his heart, Fezziwig alive again. Yo ho there, Ebenezer, Dick. Dick Wilkins, to be sure. Bless me, yes, he, he was very much attached to me, was Dick, poor fellow. Yo ho, my boys, no more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas Ebenezer. Let's have the shutters up before a man can say Jack Robinson. Hilly-ho, clear away, my lads, and let's have lots of room here. Hilly-ho, Dick. Cheer up, Ebenezer. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one substantial smile, and Belle, whose cheeks blushed when she saw the young Ebenezer. Belle. <laughs> Dear Belle, I proposed to her in this very warehouse at one of Fezziwig's parties. In came, came the, the three, three Mrs. Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. And the six young followers whose hearts they broke. And all the young men and women employed in the business. And the housemaid and her cousin the baker. And the cook and the mailman. In they all came, one after another, pushing and pulling and joining in the dance all at once in various wild assortments of affectionate, if misplaced, groupings. <laughs> Fezziwig and Mrs. Fezziwig, top couple, and nobody a match for them. Well done, well done. A Merry Christmas to all. A toast to Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig. Oh, a toast to Fezziwig. A toast. Mr. Fezziwig, you're a match for any man here, and there's no denying it. I thank you, sir, and defy any man to challenge me on the dance floor. <laughs> To Mrs. Fezziwig, a worthy partner in every sense of the word. If that's not high praise, I don't know what is. <laughs> Such feasting. The roast, the beer, the mince pies. A small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? Why, is it not? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. Three or four, perhaps? Is that so much that he deserves praise? The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it had cost a fortune. What is the matter? Uh, nothing particular. Something, I think. I should like a word or two with my clerk just now. That's all. My time grows short. Quickly. Again, Scrooge saw himself now a man in the prime of his life. Bill. Another idol has displaced me in your heart, Ebenezer. What idol has replaced you? A golden one. And if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. This is the even-handed dealing of the world. There's nothing on which it is so hard as poverty, and there's nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you. <laughs> what then? 
Even if I have grown so much wiser, I am not changed toward you, am I? Our contract is an old one. When it was made, you were another man. That which promised happiness when we were of one mind is fraught with misery now we are two. I release you. Have I ever sought release? In words, no. In what then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit. If this promise had never been between us, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? You think not. I would gladly think otherwise. But if you were free today, would you choose a dowerless girl, you who now weigh everything by gain? Or choosing her, do I not know that your repentance and regret would surely follow? I do, and I release you with a full heart for love of him you once were. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Spirit, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me? I told you, these were shadows of things that have been, that they are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me. I cannot bear it. Haunt me no longer. Scrooge found himself once more in his own bedroom. He reeled to bed and sank into a heavy sleep. Restored to consciousness just in time to hold conference with the second messenger. Scrooge was prepared to receive anything between a baby and a rhinoceros. But when the bell tolled and no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling. A blaze of ruddy light streamed upon the bed. He traced the ghostly light to the adjoining room and shuffled in his slippers to the door. Enter! The room was hung about with living green, holly, mistletoe, and ivy. A mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney. Heaped upon the floor in a kind of throng were turkeys, geese, game, sausages, plum pudding, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, immense cakes, and seething bowls of punch. Upon this couch sat a jolly giant, clothed in a deep green mantle, his feet in broad chest bare, and a holly wreath set with icicles upon his head. know me better, man. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. You've never seen the likes of me before. Never. Never walked forth with other members of my family. I'm afraid not. Have you many brothers, spirit? <laughs> More than 1,800. A tremendous family to provide for. Yes. Conduct me where you will. If you have aught to teach me, let me profit in it. Perhaps it 
was the good spirit's generous, hearty nature that led him straight to the house of Scrooge's clerk. Whatever has got your precious father, then, and your brother, Tiny Tim? Oh, and Martha weren't as late last Christmas by day by half an hour. Oh, here's Martha, Mother. Martha, there's such a goose, Martha. Oh, why, bless your heart alive, my dear, how late you are. Well, we'd had a deal of work to finish up last night. We had to clear away this morning, Mother. Well, never mind, so long as you've come. Now sit you down by the fire, my dear, and have a warm. Oh, Lord bless you. No, no, there's Father coming. Hide, Martha, hide. <laughs> what? Where's our Martha? Yes, where's Martha? I'm not coming. Not coming? Not coming on Christmas Day? <laughs> here I am, Father. <laughs> I can't bear to see you disappointed. Come and hear the pudding singing in the copper, Tim. <laughs> and how did little Tim behave in church, Bob? Oh, as good as gold and mm. better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things. He told me that he hoped the people saw him in church because he was a cripple and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. He's growing strong and hearty, my dear. I know he is. Such a pudding, Father, <laughs> and such a goose. And such a bustle. You would think that the goose was the rarest of birds, a veritable feathered phenomenon. Indeed, there never was such a goose cooked in this household. Enough for everyone, with the youngest Cratchits steeped in sage and onion to the eyebrows. Oh, hush, hush. Now comes the pudding. The pudding. I suppose it's not be done enough. Suppose it should break in turning out. Suppose somebody should have got over the wall of the backyard and stolen it while we were merry with the goose. <laughs> Hello. What a great deal of steam. The pudding is out of the copper. And the smell... Like an eating house and pastry cooks with a laundress next door. Oh, wonderful pudding. Oh, my dear, I regard this as your greatest success since our marriage. Oh, I must confess, I had my doubts about the quantity of flour. <laughs> Rather a small pudding for such a large family. Danny Cratchit would blush to hint at such a thing. Flat heresy. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us. Everyone. Spirit, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my kind will find him here. No, no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. What then? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Man forbear that wicked cant until you have discovered what the surplus is and where it is. It may be that in the sight of heaven, you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. I'll give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feed upon, and I'd hope he'd have a very good appetite for it. Uh, my dear, the children, Christmas Day. Well, it should be Christmas Day, I am sure, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. 
Well, you know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow. But Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the days, not for his. Long life to him, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I've no doubt. To Mr. Scrooge. To, to Mr. Mr. Scrooge. They were not a handsome family, these Cratchits. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from waterproof. Their clothes were scanty and very likely known the inside of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another and contented with the time. When at last they faded, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim, until the very last. Scrooge and his companion left the Clark's house and went into the street, where all was a bustle with preparations. stood upon a bleak and desert moor. What place is this? A place where miners live who labored in the bowels of the earth. But they know me. Scrooge and the spirit traveled far and wide that night, if it was indeed but a single night. They visited sailors on their dark watch at sea, and exiles in foreign lands, sick beds and almshouses, hospitals and jails, and anywhere that vain man in his little authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out. And everywhere they stopped, the spirit left his blessing. surprised to Scrooge to hear of a sudden a hearty laugh. <laughs> if you should happen by unlikely chance to know a man more blessed in a laugh than Scrooge's nephew, all I can say is, I should like to know him too. Introduce me and I'll cultivate the acquaintance. He said Christmas was a humbug, as I lived. He believed it too. More shame on him, Fred. Oh, he's a comical old fellow, that's the truth. And not so pleasant as he might be. But his offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he is very rich. At least you always tell me so. What of it, dear? His wealth is of no use to him. He doesn't do any good with it. He doesn't even make himself comfortable with it. No, I have no pre presence with him. Oh, I have. I feel sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here, he takes it into his head to dislike us and won't come down with us. What's the consequence? He merges out on a perfectly dreadful dinner. <laughs> Indeed, I think this is a very lovely dinner. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. 
I haven't much faith in these young housekeepers. What do you say, Topper? Alas, I am a bachelor, a wretched outcast with no right whatsoever to express an opinion on the subject. <laughs> Go on, Fred. You never finish anything you're saying. I was only saying that by not making merry with us, he loses some pleasant moments which could do him no harm. I mean to give him the chance every year, whether he likes it or not. Quite the musical gathering at Fred's, I can assure you. Especially young Mr. Topper, who could growl away in the bass like a good one and never swell the large veins in his forehead or get red in the face over it. to music. First, there was a game of blind man's bluff. And I no more believe Topper was really blind than I believe he had eyes in his boots. The way he went after Mrs. Fred's sister was an outrage on the credulity of human nature. Tumbling over chairs, bumping up against the piano, smothering himself in the curtains. Wherever she went, there went he. He wouldn't catch anybody else. There might have been 20 people there, young and old, but they all played. And so did Scrooge. Now time grows short. Oh, please, Spirit, let me stay until the guests have gone. Uh, here's a new game. Yes and no. <gasps> oh, yes and no. One last game, Spirit. Only one. I'll think of something, and you must find out what it is. You may ask me any question with a yes or no answer. Oh, uh, is it an animal? Yes. A deer? Decidedly not. <laughs> a savage animal? Yes. Oh, does it grunt? Yes. Is it a pig? No. Uh, can it talk? Yes. Ooh. Oh, a parrot! No. Does it growl? Yes. Is it a bear? No. Oh, is it found in London? Oh, yes. Free to walk about the streets? Oh, yes. <laughs> Have it. I know what it is. Your Uncle Scrooge! Correct, my dear. <laughs> Uncle Scrooge it is. And as he has given us plenty of merriment, we would be ungrateful not to drink his health. Here is a glass of mulled wine ready to hand, and I say to Uncle Scrooge. To Uncle Scrooge! A Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to him, wherever he is. Thank you, one and all. My life upon this globe is very brief. It ends tonight. Tonight? At midnight. But there's one last sight you must see. Look here. From the foldings of his robe, the spirit brought two children, a boy and a girl, wretched, abject, frightful. They knelt at his feet and clung to his garment. A stale and shriveled hand had pinched and twisted their features. No perversion or degradation of humanity has monsters half so horrible and dread. Spirit, are they yours? They are man's. They cling to me for protection. This boy's ignorance, this girl is want. Beware them both, but most of all, beware this boy. 
Have they no refuge or resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? struck twelve. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. He beheld instead a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground toward him. A deep black garment concealed its head, face, form, and left nothing visible save one outreached hand. Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? Are you about to show me shadows of things that have not yet happened, but, but will happen? Is that so, spirit? Will you not speak to me? Oh, ghost of the future, I fear you more than any specter I have seen. But I am prepared to bear your company. Lead on, spirit. They entered poor Bob Cratchit's house and found the mother and the children seated around the fire. All that time the disciples asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and set him in the midst of them. Shall I stop, mother? Uh, the color hurts my eyes. It makes them weak by candlelight, and I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father for all the world. It must be near his time. Past it, rather. But I think he walks a little slower than he used to these last few evenings. I have known him to walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder very fast indeed. And so have I, often. And so have I. But he was very light to carry, and his father loved him so that it was no trouble. Hello, my dears. Oh, Robert, come and have a warm. I'm sorry to be late, my dear. I, I went there today. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is. I promised him I would walk there every Sunday. My little child. My tiny Tim. Oh, Robert. <clears throat> I am sure that we shall none of us forget tiny Tim, shall we? Or this first parting that there was among us. And when we recollect how patient and how mild he was, though he was but a little, little child, we shall not quarrel easily among ourselves. The phantom moved away. Scrooge followed in its shadow. The city seemed to spring about them and encompass them. They stood in the heart of the exchange. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen. When did he die? Last night, I believe. Why, what was the matter with him? <laughs> I thought he'd never die. Oh, God knows. Well, what's he done with his money? Well, left it to his company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me, that's all I know. <laughs> uh, it's likely to be a cheap funeral. I don't know anybody to go to it. Well, I don't mind going, if a lunch is provided, but I must be fed. <laughs> I know these men. I do business with them. Whom do they speak of? Why do you show me this? There was no reply. The bony finger pointed again, and Scrooge found himself in an obscure part of town, a place of ill repute. The ways were foul and narrow, and the whole place reeked of crime. Filth and misery. In this den of infamous resort was a low-browed, beetling shop. A gray-haired rascal covered in miscellaneous tatters sat among the mountains of unseemly rags. <laughs> now look here, old Joe. 
there's a chance, if we haven't all three met here without meaning it, the charwoman, the laundress, and the undertaker. <laughs> you couldn't have met in a better place. <laughs> Come into the parlor. You were made free of it long ago, you know? <laughs> and the other two ain't strangers. <laughs> Stop till I shut the door of the shop. <laughs> there ain't such a rusty bit of metal in the place as its own hinges, I believe. And I'm sure there's no such old bones here as mine. <laughs> We're all suitable to our calling. We're all well matched. <coughs> Come into the parlor. Come into the parlor. Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. That's true indeed. No man more so. Why then don't stand staring as if you was afraid, woman? Who's the wiser? We're not going to pick holes in each other's coats, I suppose. No, indeed. I should hope not. Well, very well, then. That's enough. Now, who's the worst for the loss of a few things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. <laughs> no, indeed. <laughs> well, if he wanted to keep him after he was dead, why wasn't he more natural in his lifetime? Hmm. Wicked old screw. Well, if he had been, he'd have had somebody there to look after him when he was struck with death instead of lying, grasping out his last there all alone by himself. It's the truest word that ever was spoke. It's a judgment on him. And it would have been an heavier one, you can depend on it, if I had laid my hands on anything else. Hey, oh, open that bundle, Joe. Hmm? I'm not afraid to be the first. We knew pretty well we was helping ourselves before we met here, I believe. It's no sin. Now open the bundle, Joe. Chivalry for visit. I'll go first, Joe. Uh. Right. <laughs> Seal ring. Pencil case. Pair of sleeve buttons. Brooch. Here's your account. Whoa. And I wouldn't give another sixpence if I was to be boiled for not doing it. <laughs> Who's next? I'll be next. Sheets, towels, two shirts, two teaspoons, silver, one pair of sugar tongs, two pair of boots. Well, here's your tally. I always give too much to the ladies. It's a weakness of mine, and that's the way I ruin myself. If you asked me for another penny and made it an open question, I'd repent my liberality and knock off half a crown. N now, undo my bundle, Joe. What do you call this? Bed curtains? Aye, bed curtains. You don't mean to say you took them down, rings and all, with him lying there? Yes, I do. Why not? <laughs> you were born <laughs> to make your fortune, and you'll certainly do it. <laughs> well, I shan't hold back my hand for the sake of such a man as he was. I promise you, Joe. Hey, don't drop that oil upon them blankets now. His blankets? Well, who else's do you think? He is unlikely to take cold without him, I dare say. No, no, he, he, he didn't die of anything catching. Well. I ain't so fond of his company that I'd loiter about him for such things if he did. Hey, now, you may look through that shirt till your eyes ache, but you won't find a hole in it. It's the best one he had. They'd have wasted it if it hadn't have been for me. Wasted it? Buried him in it, to be sure. But I took it off again. <laughs> as if calico ain't good enough for such a purpose. It's quite becoming to the body. <laughs> he couldn't have looked uglier than he did in that one. <laughs> That's an end of it, then. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us 
when he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Is there not a man or woman or child to say a kind word for this wretched creature? Who is it they speak of? The phantom pointed forward until they reached the iron gate of a churchyard, walled in by houses, overrun by grass and weeds, choked up with too much burying. A worthy place. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. Well, be before I draw nearer to that gravestone you show me, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be, or are they, thing, are they shadows of things that may be only? Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends, but if the courses be departed from, surely the ends will change. Say this thus with what you show me. The spirit was immovable as ever. Scrooge crept toward it, trembling as he went, and following the pointing finger, read upon the stone of the neglected grave, his own name! Ebenezer Scrooge! No! Spirit, no! Oh, Spirit, hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Good Spirit, say that I may yet change these shadows, shadows by an altered light. Oh, tell me, I may sponge away the writing on this stone. Scrooge held up his hands in supplication and saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. My bed? My room? The bed curtains. They're not torn down. They are here. I, I, I am here. The shadow of things that would have been may be dispelled, and they will be. I know they will. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all year. I will live in the past, present, and future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and Christmas time be praised. I say it on my knees, old Jacob, on my knees. There's the corner where the ghost of Christmas presents sat. There's the window where I saw the wandering spirits. It's all right. It's all true. It all happened. I don't know what to do. I am light as a feather. Mary is a schoolboy. I am giddy as a drunken man. Merry Christmas, everybody. And a happy new year. Hello. Really, for a man who'd been out of practice for so many years, he had a splendid laugh. The father of a long line of brilliant laughs. I don't know what day of the month it is. I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. But I don't care. I'm quite a baby. I'd rather be a baby. Hello. The church bells. Ding dong. Oh, glorious. The sunlight, heavenly sky, jovial cold, fresh air. Oh, glorious and glorious and again glorious. Oh, hello there, boy. Hi. What's today? What? What's today, my fine fellow? Why, it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits did it all in one night. 
Well, they can do anything that they like. Of course they can. Hello, my fine fellow. Hello. You know the Polteros in the next street but one? Oh, she know Portage. Oh, an intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. Do you know the one? Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little one, the big one. Well, the one as big as me. Oh, what a delightful boy. A pleasure to talk to. Yes, my buck. It's hanging there now. Go and buy it. Okay. No, no, no. I am in earnest. Go and buy it, and tell him to bring it here, that I may give directions where to take it. Come back with the man, I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes, I'll give him, I'll, I'll, I'll give you half a crown. <laughs> I'll send it to Bob Cratchit. He won't know who sent it. Oh, it's twice the size of Tiny Tim. Shaving was a bit of a task, trembling as he was. But if he'd cut off the end of his nose, he would have put a piece of sticking plaster over it and been quite satisfied. He dressed all in his best and at last got out into the streets. Merry Christmas to you. Good morning, my dear. Good morning, lad. Good morning. Oh, Ephraim. Ephraim Partagill. Mr. Scrooge, sir, I know I ain't paid my debt yet, sir, but it's, it's my wife, sir. Consider it paid, my good man. Paid, sir? Yes. And here's a little something for your wife. Thank you, sir. A Merry Christmas to you, my good fellow. Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. <laughs> oh, ho, ho. There's the two fellows from the charity fund. Hello, my fine fellows, my dear sirs, how do you do? I hope you succeeded yesterday. It was very kind of you. Mr. Scrooge. Yes, that is my name. I fear it may not be pleasant to you. Well. Allow me to ask your pardon, and will you have the goodness to accept a small donation? Lord, bless me. My, my, my dear Mr. Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, and not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. Will you do me that favor? Oh, my, my dear sir, I, I, I don't know what to say to such generosity. Don't say anything, please. Come and see me. Will you come and see me? <laughs> we will. <laughs> I am much obliged to you. Thank you 50 times. Bless you both. And... A very Merry Christmas to you. Scrooge went to church and walked about the streets and watched people hurrying to and fro and patted children on the head and found that everything yielded him pleasure. And in the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. He passed the door a dozen times before he had the courage to go up and knock. Fred. Uncle Scrooge? I have come to dinner. Will you let me in? Oh, let him in. It's a mercy they didn't shake his arm off. Wonderful party, wonderful games, wonderful happiness. But Scrooge was early at the office the next morning. Oh, he was early there. If he could only be there first to catch Bob Cratchit's coming late, that was a thing he had set his heart upon. And he did it. The clock was full, 18 minutes and a half behind his time. 
Hello? What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I, I am very sorry, sir. I, I, I am a bit behind my time. Yes, you are. I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you please. It's only once a year, sir. I, it shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. Oh, I'm sure you were. I'll tell you what, my friend. I'm not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. Therefore, you leave me no recourse but to raise your salary. A Merry Christmas, Bob. A merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and uh, endeavor to assist your family. We'll uh, discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a bowl of Christmas punch. Make up the fires and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew. Or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that truly be said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone! We wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring to you and your kin. Good tidings of Christmas and a Happy New Year. The Holly Jolly Singers! The Willamette Radio Workshop! John Barber and Deanie Gagar! Thank you all, and have the merriest of holidays. Nice work, in there. Yeah. Well done. Nicely done. That was just, you sounded fabulous. You're tuned into Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is all things horror on Tuesday Terrors. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day. Or find Tuesday Terrors in your favorite podcast players. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. <laughs>